How are young farmers coping without the young farmers? No meetings, but plenty going on within the YFC at the moment. They're using Zoom and FaceTime and, uh, you know, other online packages to meet. Kate Knight from Lincolnshire Young Farmers joins us this morning on the farming programme. The archers only had an allotment when I was a young farmer. Not so young farmer Sean Sparling will be here with plentiful agronomy advice in a few minutes. We'll also take a walk around the many and varied fields of Andrew Ward and find out where we're at and how's the potato drilling in this concrete soil we have at the moment. And what of the old crop? Will that be cleared before the new becomes available? Colin Ward from PJP Potatoes joins us, as does Kit Dickinson from Openfield, back from his holidays with a look at the markets. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Good morning. Hope you're keeping well, staying safe and enjoying the sunshine. Although, thankfully, there is some much-needed rain on the way. We'll have the five-day weather forecast at the end of the programme as usual. I'm Steve Orchard. In the news this week, the Livestock Auctioneers Association has agreed with DEFRA that some sales of breeding animals can resume with suitable social distancing in place. Arla's price for milk will fall to 29.89 pence per litre for May, with organic milk at 38.93 pence. Supermarket Morrison's has announced new measures to support its farmer suppliers, including a 5% discount on groceries, and it's opening steak and seafood bars to support farmers struggling to sell high-end cuts of meat due to the closure of the food service sector. Actor Idris Elba, who is now a United Nations goodwill ambassador, has called on governments to ensure the world does not experience a food shortage in the wake of COVID-19. He and his wife Sabrina are looking at ways to raise $200 million to help farm workers around the world. And Prince Charles has said the UK owes farmers an enormous debt of gratitude for producing food during the crisis, along with delivery drivers, shelf stackers and others doing their best to get the food to the table but he said, of course, it all starts with the farmers. Now, young farmers clubs encourage the next generation to socialise, learn new skills and raise funds while having a bit of fun. Much of that has become harder thanks to COVID-19. Kate Knight from Lincolnshire Young Farmers joins us on the farming programme today. Kate, your meetings, activities and events are suspended like so many others at the moment. How are your members staying in touch? They're using... Zoom and FaceTime and, uh, you know, other online packages to meet. We've actually held some um, county-wide meetings. So we had sort of, I think, nearly 30 people on our normal six-weekly exec meeting, which was quite fun. We did that on Zoom and um, they got dressed up in fancy dress and had a lot of fun as well as some of the serious stuff. So, so yeah, and we're doing lots of challenges and competitions, which I can tell you a little bit more about. So, yeah, yeah. Well, t- do tell us a bit more about them. Most weeks at the moment, we're doing a sort of county quiz. This week, actually, we're doing a county bingo, and we're actually trying to raise some money for LRSN um, by, by running the, the bingo night. So uh, we've got a really super uh, guy who's the chairman of North Holland Young Farmers, Zach, and he's he does our website, so he's pretty techy, and he's managing to set up these quiz nights and, and, and bingo. So, so that sort of thing. And, and some of the clubs have done their own challenges. So you may have seen that the Lou Roll challenges, most of our clubs did those. That was a great way of staying connected and providing something fun, as well as saying thank you to the NHS. National Young Farmers each week are doing a YFC at Home Challenge. 
so there's been a, a bake-off, a revamp, some old furniture challenge and a talent challenge this week. So, yeah, lots of things happening. Good, because uh, it can be a bit of a, an isolating situation we're in at the moment you're not seeing people you're not seeing friends you're not staying in touch are you able to offer support to members if somebody's finding it difficult to cope at the moment they're they're used to this slight isolation because they get on their tractors in the morning or they you know they go out onto their farms what they're missing obviously is the social interaction that young farmers give them in the evenings um and you know and, and at weekends when they're you know when they're not working so they're the gaps that we're really trying to fill we had one rather big disappointment last weekend, didn't we? It would have been the, the, the biggie, the county chairman's charity ball. Has the cancellation of that put a dent in your fundraising efforts this year? That was a fundraiser for LRSN, uh, who we work a lot with. Um, so, so really, from our point of view, it's put a dent in the fundraising for them. But we're really lucky that a lot of um, companies and individuals that had pledged prizes and money are are still honoring that which is great we haven't got a you know final figure yet but we're we're going to hold an online auction of some of the prizes that had been donated so i'm hoping that we will be able to recover some money that we will be able to give to to lrsn is it planned to do anything with the ball later this year or is is it next year now well, actually, the, the County Chairman's Charity Ball is normally every two years. It was started two years ago by our County Chairman at that point, Matthew Denby, and he raised a phenomenal amount of money for kidney research. And this year, Matt Stovin, our County Chairman, wanted to do it. So, in theory, it wouldn't be again till two years, but whether next year's County Chairman will want to put it in as it hasn't happened this year, we, we shall see. We do our other balls, obviously, in between, so we've got a date already in the diary for our... Our, our usual county ball and then we hold a uh, slightly smaller ones in at spring and christmas so you know fingers crossed depending on on how this all pans out we'll, we'll be going put you know forward with those one thing that is going to be uh, changing in the next few days and weeks is the county rally what's happening with that yeah so our county rally sadly like most things we've postponed actually we've got a couple of ideas in place we were due to hold our county rally at uh, knocked and thanks to Beeswax Dyson Farming and was kindly sponsored this year by Ripon Farm Services. We've got a tentative date to do a mini rally in July, but in the meantime, we're doing, we've chosen 13 of our exhibition classes and we're going to judge those online. And the members hopefully are working on those because they're things that they can do at home. Uh, you know, it's crafting and photographs and, uh, you, you know, being creative. So we've picked things that. They haven't got to leave home to do. They shouldn't have to go and buy lots of things. But it's a good way of keeping, giving the members something for their rally and, um, and, and giving them something to do when they're, you know, those members that are at home. And when is this going to take place, Kate? Well, we started now, so the classes have gone out, so all the members have got uh, information about what classes we're running, and, and the closing date for those actually is our rally day, which would have been the 16th of May, and then our judges are poised to judge those the week after, and then we'll be releasing them out on social media with, with um, the sort of the winners of each, of each class. And I believe many of your members are out and about in the community supporting, helping uh, those who need a bit of support and help at the moment. So we've got members going out and, you know, picking up prescriptions and shopping and some of our Spalding members have even uh, topped up people's TB licence. Um, and then at the moment we've got some members from Horncastle Young Farmers. They're working on, uh, in the Stanhope Hall, in the, um, for the love of, 
scrubs, Horncastle, so they're making scrubs, hats, headbands um, for people in our, you know, our local hospitals, um, care homes, etc. Um, so they're accepting donations of um, any fabric and bed sheets and quilts. That's happening in the Stanhope Hall in Horncastle, and our members are volunteering. And then we've also got members from Rugby Young Farmers. Uh, they're volunteering for Rugby Chef, which is a charity in, in Rugby that provides meals. And so they're um, volunteering in the food bank where people can go and drop off food and then people can go and pick up food parcels. So we've got some of our members volunteering for that as well. So, and then, of course, our members working out in fields and farms and, and all our key workers, you know. So lots of members out doing lots of things to help others in this pretty strange time brilliant thanks for that kate uh, so for anybody who's not a member of young farmers club would like to know more or just would like to know more about the work that you do where should they go you can find information we've got a, a website linksyfc.org.uk but if you just google search lincolnshire young farmers it would come up we're on facebook uh, instagram twitter and snapchat so hopefully you can't miss us on any of those so yeah google search lincolnshire young farmers and you'll get to us somehow whether it's through facebook or our website Thanks so much, Kate. That's Kate Knight from Lincolnshire Young Farmers. To agronomy now with another young farmer. Morning, Sean. Yeah, what, me? <laughs> oh, yeah, all right, that'll be right, Steve. When I was a young farmer, they were only just brought in the Norfolk Forecourse. In fact, I think the archers only had an allotment when I was a young farmer. So, um, no, I am not a young farmer. Uh, I was once, but I can't remember those days because I'm too old to remember. So, let's start with the weather. Very, very dry. Once again, very dry. Things are getting fairly serious out here in the field. We have two crops. We're going to have two crops, even three crops in most of these fields. The ones which got drilled into some moisture, the sugar beet, seeds which hit moisture, the peas, the beans, the spring barley, the spring wheat which got into moisture is happily growing away and pushing its roots into that damp layer and growing like bilio but there are areas within the same fields where the seed hasn't even struck where it's just sat in dust so it's going to be a complicated season but then again every season is complicated in its own way this is quite reminiscent of last spring we all worried about it it worked out okay for us but we are going to need some rain over the course of the next few weeks to keep things moving now there is enough moisture in the air with the heavy dews and the misty nights that we saw towards the back end of this week where that's enough to reactivate residual herbicides in sugar beet for example if you've got things like metamitron or ethofumosate or uh, chloridazon down in that seed bed these dews are enough to keep that activated and you can see that out in the field where it's starting to twitch up some of the nettles which have emerged the bindweed which is trying to push through the pansies which is trying to push through so that pre-emergent herbicide will be helping you out in these fields. It gets complicated when you try and time post-emergent herbicides though because you have to have crops for things like for example Lenosil, Venzar or Lenazar. The, the crop, the emerge crop needs to be fully expanded cotyledons with the first two true leaf buds visible. Now if you've got a crop where it's just pricking through the ground and you do that and you get a hot day or you get a frost that's when you start to see frost damage and crop damage. So just be careful with some of the mixes you put on. Some of the herbicides in sugar beet are far more benign so uh, metamitron is more benign than ethofumosate but speak to your advisor talk to them about what the right course of action is and you have to react to the weeds in the field remember not to let brassica weeds get too big um, and also remember as we said last week if you've got any desmedifam products in the shed that has to be used up by the 1st of July and also of course now's the time to keep your eyes peeled for the miser's persicae your threshold for treatment is one wingless nymph per four 
plants in the field. They are tiny little things. They take some finding. Use the BBRO uh, app on your phone. Have a look. Put in your postcode and it will tell you local to where you are with a traffic light system of whether you should be worrying about it and going out and looking. At the moment, there are none being found out in the field. Last year, it, it was around that first week of June. But keep your eyes peeled because if you find that threshold, you need to be out there with the likes of Topeki or Biscaya since we've lost the use of the neonicotinoids on the seed. Spring wheat, spring barley, a bit all over the place. Some of the earlier drilled ones I've actually left T1 tickets for. I've got to grow stage 30, 31 in some of my early drilled spring barley tickets. But in the main, two crops to a field and we're still in the leaf and pushing into early tillering stage. So now's the time to get, if you've got a malting barley crop, for example, to get the rest of the nitrogen on, to have all of your nitrogen on before tillering. Anything you've already put on, of course, is still sat there because we really haven't had any rain to wash it in. So if it's ammonium nitrate, it's not going to go anywhere we're going to end up with a concentration in the ear one way or the other we're in the lap of the gods we're guessing at it really so go with your gut and speak to people with a lot of experience in these things but don't lose sight of the fact that the people with the most experience are the ones who've made the most mistakes that's how you get the experienced double-edged sword isn't it this job Winter barley T1 is upon us. Winter wheat T1 is upon us, particularly in the stuff that was drilled at the end of September and into um, through October, really. I've got T1 quite widely, leaf three emerging. That's the timing. That's what you're trying to protect out there. Remember, if you've got chlorthalonil, you have to have that used up by the 20th of May. So drop it in with your T1, drop it in with your T2, as long as you're within those dates. Now, out there in the field, we've been talking about septoria being widespread, stem-based browning being widespread, and that's been the case all the way through the autumn, really, thanks to the wet spell that we've had up until uh, a, a month or so ago. But also yellow rust. There are very few varieties in the field which have good tolerance to yellow rust. Even some of the varieties like Skyscraper, which have good tolerance, are starting to break down to it because we think there are new strains evolving all the time. So you have to be on your metal. Triazoles, SDHIs, strobs, all of those things are going to help you with that job. So just don't lose sight of the fact that yellow rust is a big problem. Once you start, you've got to keep this sort of three and four week interval going um, because you don't want to sort of half kill it and then it comes back in. You wait seven weeks and it's back in with a vengeance. You tend to get foci of yellow rust where it spreads out from that point so manage it stuff that i was treating three weeks ago with a t0 with a strobilirin dried it out beautifully we're now starting to see it come back in and that's going to coincide with the t1 treatment Clormaquat, Trinexapac ethyl growth regulators will be useful because if we do get some rain, you'll get luxury uptake and they might just flop over. But be very, very careful. Trinexapac ethyl is very much more uh, caustic. It can be far more damaging to a crop if you get it wrong. Clormaquat, much more benign, the, the choline chloride. But again, speak to your advisor and make sure that you're going to be safe with what you're doing and you are within the growth stages because with filicron and temperatures, they are moving very, very quickly and you can soon go past the late growth stage if you're not careful. So stress is widespread out in the field, not just the crops, but the agronomists as well. I hope everybody is staying safe. Please do that. Look after yourselves. I heard the cuckoo the other day, so spring is definitely upon us. And let's see what the next seven days bring. Indeed. Thanks, Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. In a moment, we'll see what the markets are doing in these turbulent times and where we're at with the potato crop. And we'll take a walk with Andrew Ward around his many acres and get an update direct from the farm. The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. To potatoes then. Colin Jackson from PJP Potatoes joins us once again. I, I guess things are quiet on the food service front, but how are things on the, the crop at the moment? 
Yeah, we are finding, I mean, potatoes, the old season potatoes, what was harvested sort of, well, normally harvested in the back end of the year, but obviously, you know, a certain amount of potatoes are overwintered and have just only really been finished harvesting. In fact, we've had some people harvesting in one field and literally planting in the next, um, which is not something you see very often. Um, but the, the, the old season potato trade at the moment is quite slow. Um, there's still obviously you know business to be done for the packing into the supermarkets, but that has tailed off a little bit um, to what it was at the, uh, the start of the pandemic. Um, so we're now seeing, as you say, the food service side is very much stopped at the moment. So the fish and chip shops and what have you. There's a few beginning to open back up now, so we're seeing a little bit more movement on that. But certainly the the, the market is under pressure as people try to clear out the last of the, uh, the crop they've got in store, uh, ready for the new season to start. How's the weather and the fact that we've really gone from one extreme to the other with, with soggy fields a few weeks ago to um, soil like concrete at the moment? Is that causing a problem? Yes, it is. Um, you know, where people are, they're, they're able to plant okay, you know, work it down and plant. Um, but where people have planted now, already they're starting to consider whether they need on some of the lighter lands, whether they need to irrigate already, which is incredible, really, when you, when you, as you say, you know, only four or five weeks ago, things were very, very wet. Um, and obviously, the land underneath is still quite a bit of moisture uh, down there. But obviously, once the land's been worked down and, and turned over, then um, that moisture soon seems to go. So, yeah, one or two people almost thinking of irrigation. Yeah, it's, it's looking at the forecast, we've got some wet stuff on the way next week by the looks of it. So that will, that will help a little bit. How about things like prices and quality? How's that being affected at the moment? Yeah, well, quality... <sighs> Some of the later harvested uh, crops uh, that we were talking about earlier, um, they do need to be marketed fairly quick. So that does put the job under pressure um, and prices have come down. Realistically, they've certainly come down by £100 a tonne, which is, a, you know, a big old lump. You know, you're talking sort of probably a third of their value um, has been knocked off, um, you know, since we've really sort of started this lockdown. Um, particularly in the frying sectors for the, you know, for the food service side of things. So, um, you know, where people were asking for, you know, well into the 300s, um, you know, and even it did look at one point as if we were heading towards the £400 a tonne mark. Um, and uh, suddenly that stack had really backed down to sort of people asking sort of 200 but also really you know looking to sell and if someone came on you know with a decent sized order they would be open to offers let's put it that way one thing that people are concerned about is clearing this old crop before the new season starts because that's always a a danger is when the um when the old season potatoes roll on in and, and clash with the new season um that puts things under pressure uh, right at the start of the season which nobody nobody enjoys that so that's the that's the, uh, the the danger, the, the pitfall that we've got to watch out for now. Thanks, Colin. Colin Jackson of PJP Potatoes, back with another update next month. Andrew Ward is a regular guest on the farming programme. We've talked in the past about forage aid, and we met up with Andrew a few weeks back on Tractors Into Schools Week. Andrew farms many acres in the county. What's the current state of play with you, Andrew? We're not looking too bad, really, considering the weather we've had in the last few months. Before Christmas, the weather uh, rained or started to rain on September the 23rd. 
uh, and it rained virtually every day or every other day uh, right through till February. So because of that, we didn't get any autumn crops in the ground apart from three fields of oilseed rape in early September. They were a battle to keep them alive because of uh, cabbage stem flea beetle and the ban on the neonicotinoid seed treatment. So two of those fields we, we wrote off in, in January and uh, obviously had to put a, a spring uh, crop in. And then the last field we had of rape, we wrote it off and decided to re-drill it um, with uh, wheat only about probably two weeks, two and a half weeks ago. Um, there was some rape there, but because it was so dry and, and the flea beetle pressure from the autumn, the rape just stood there. So we, we re-drilled that with, with wheat. So at the minute, we haven't got any rape in the ground at all, which for us is the first time that that has happened since we started growing it in 1984, I think it was, when we stopped growing potatoes um, and, and went into all seed rape. So it's a, a, a real first for us. And uh, I think it really is a difficult situation now to look at growing rape at the moment until we can actually have some certainty that we're, we're going to have a crop when we put it in the ground, that we're going to have a crop to harvest. And at the moment, we can't say that and we can't keep going to spend the money we are doing and, and losing it. And of those three fields of rape that we, uh, we pulled out was about 75 acres. That was all we had. And we'd spent about £130 an acre on, on those fields. And that was through seed costs, um, fuel, labour, uh, the actual application of spraying it two or three times, slug pellets, drilling costs... Uh, all those sorts of things that we we uh, we know the machines cost to run and the crops cost to grow, so it's a big big loss we've had on that crop. But as everybody always says, the first loss is the cheapest. So to sort of go around the farm and go around the crops, um, winter wheat we didn't get any winter wheat in the ground until February, and so that was on the light land on Lednam Heath, and we're only able to get that in because it's the soil type. And I swapped the cropping around completely uh, uh, then. We'd normally have oilseed rape, uh, malting barley, um, sugar beet and winter wheat up on the light land. But I decided um, because we had some crop sales that we needed to fulfil the contracts, decided to put winter wheat in on the light land. So we, we only have 180 acres of that light land. So it's all in with wheat um, at the moment apart from one field that we always have sugar beet up here um, for late lifting sugar beet in, in January and February. So we put the winter wheat in the ground. Um, it's a variety called Shabras, which is a, a high yielding feed variety and it did very well for us last year. So we put that in the ground in January and we planted it at 500 seeds a square metre. Uh, so you, probably that will be looking at 250 maybe kilos a hectare somewhere there so quite a high seed rate but it needs it because of the time of planting and that looks really well now um it's had its first fertilizer and and looks in uh, in, in good condition really so so that that's the winter wheat um we've got lots of spring wheat in the ground and again i've gone for spring wheat rather than spring barley because the forward sales for barley and wheat next year um, are looking more favourable uh, for wheat than barley. So we've gone for wheat 
and we've got a variety called Kilburn, which is a, a, a feed variety. We've also got another variety called Chillum in the ground for seed for KWS, and that variety um, is a is a low grade milling variety, but uh, it's going to go for for seed hopefully if it makes the makes the grade. So uh, for us, spring wheat uh, is more favourable than barley, and we have got probably three quarters of the farm in with spring wheat, um, uh, but it wasn't drilled until the 20th of March, I think we started again, which isn't ideal because spring wheat really needs to be in the ground early. Uh, and I would have said the cutoff for spring wheat really is the 25th of March and end of March at the very latest um, to get optimum yield. Um, uh, and of course, because March was was um, a wet month at the start, we couldn't get on to get the the um, uh, machines running on the soil because it was too wet, and so we, we've been delayed on getting the crops in the ground. So I'm not too hopeful on on a very special harvest, to be fair, uh, at the moment. And the spring wheat that we've got coming through the ground now, some of it looks all right. But there's the last few days we had of drilling uh, sort of two weeks ago, a bit more, two and a half weeks ago. Um, it is, is struggling because of moisture. And it's very ironic, really, that we're looking now at the, um, towards the end of April and we're absolutely desperate for a rain. And yet in Lincolnshire, we had so much rain in the winter, so much flooding around the county that people must think that farmers were, were mad in uh, in asking for rain now but we always knew that um, we would be wanting rain and we'd have to conserve the moisture we had there so it, it's been a very tricky year really i suppose since august um, and september so so we'll see how the spring crops um, uh, sort of perform uh, we have got some spring barley and we we have got uh, a contract again, so we needed to put some barley in the ground to make malting. So that will go um, to make whiskey and beer. Um, there is also some breakfast cereals have uh, have barley in, but the barley that we have will more than likely go for for malting if it makes the grade. And we've got a variety called Laureate in the ground for that, and we also have another variety called Diablo, um, which is a newish variety. But at the moment, we're growing that for feed and not for, for any quality markets. Um, and again, that, that's coming through mostly OK, but again, um, a little bit variable in, in places. And uh, another crop we grow is sugar beet. We did manage to get that in in time. And I am pleased to say that was mostly drilled uh, before the end of March. And so uh, into moisture, because we have a contractor come with a, with a direct drill and that actually puts it in very well and for those of you listening who know your machinery it was a Vardastat Tempo that came which is a brilliant drill for putting crops in and forcing it in through um, the ground into moisture so our sugar beet is, is just up in rows and um, one of the fields on the heath I actually had its uh, put its first fungicide on last weekend uh, sorry herbicide last weekend for for broadleaf weed control so we um, we're all right there hopefully that's looking okay 
and another crop um, we've got her oats. We did uh, have a, a contract with a um, local company to, to grow some oats. So we've got some naked oats, which are the oats without a husk, and they're a variety called Oliver. And so we've got only a small area, probably about 30 hectares uh, in the ground. So not, not, a, not a big area of, of those. And they were the last ones to be drilled early, early April. So that, they're just starting to emerge. Um, but again, could do with a really good drink. So all in all, I think we've got a bit of variability around the farm. We're going to start putting some more nitrogen on the crops uh, in the next week or two, next week or so on, on the winter wheats. And, and while we're talking about nitrogen, one thing I did that I think has been massively beneficial was when we were spraying uh, the, the land off um, and spraying the weeds and, and the volunteer cereals and the black grass off with, with glyphosate or, or Roundup, as, as listeners might know it, when we were spraying that off, I actually mixed some liquid nitrogen in with the, the um, herbicide. And so that, of course, covered the surface. And when we drilled the, all the spring crops, we then make the drill then mixed the soil and mixed the nitrogen, the liquid nitrogen amongst the soil. So as our seed is now germinating, the very small roots are instantly picking up nitrogen. And so I think that is why quite a lot of our spring crops are looking quite uh, quite good. And I think that was something I'll look at doing um, in future every year. And one other thing that we, we've done that was completely out of character is we, we normally work all our fields in the autumn with um, uh, Simba Solo, as a lot of people will know but we got caught because the rain came so early and we had six or eight fields that were left in the stubble over winter and I was going to get a local neighbour with a, a direct drill to, uh, to put those in. But we tried our Simba free flow drill, which some of you know uh, we're very fond of and it's a tined drill, but you wouldn't normally consider going straight into stubble with it. But we went straight into the stubble and... I must say those crops are our best looking spring crops that we hadn't uh, pre-cultivated in the autumn. So it's given us lots of food for thought and um, it's interesting that they always say that you never stop learning and if, if you say anybody says to you that they haven't learned anything um, this year, this spring um, with the weather and anything about soil or anything about farming, then, uh, then I don't believe them. And I think you never stop learning. And for us, we've learned an awful lot about soil and about uh, how you can do a lot less with soil, which is obviously what we need to be doing for t protecting the environment. And so for us, we're going to be looking at that going forward um, over the next um, few years. And we're going to hopefully look at changing our cultivations around and not uh, cultivating the soil so much in the autumn uh, before Christmas and putting more crops straight into stubble in, in the spring. So that's the latest really on, on everything at, at Lednam. Um, I think we'll, uh, we're going to be okay um, towards um, harvest, but I think we need to weather is going to play a massively important part now. We need some rain. We need some rain soon. But, of course, that's one thing that we can't control. Andrew Ward, many thanks. We'll have another update from Andrew in a couple of weeks. Time for a look at the markets now. Kit Dickinson from Openfield, back from your holidays. Morning, Kit. Morning, Steve. 
This week has seen the opposite of last week's losses on the wheat market. After trading down by over £6, we saw the market recover this week by £4.95 on Monday. And this continued on Tuesday and Wednesday, recovering all of the losses from last week. One of the reasons for this is the pound significantly weakening, which has improved the UK competitiveness to export and imports have become more expensive on the back of this. Ex-farm values improved, particularly for old crop, with some fresh buying interest, mostly for June and July. I would add that feed barley bids on new crop are looking a bit cheap compared with wheat movement in the last few days, especially considering currency. Bearing currency in mind, the UK is a relatively small, open economy that runs on a sizable current account deficit, owing to its tendency to import more than it exports. It is also an attractive investment destination for foreign capital, meaning that when the global economy is in expansion mode, the pound tends to appreciate notably on foreign investment inflows. However, when sentiment shifts, as it has done during the corona crisis, those supportive inflows not only tend to stop, but they tend to reverse. This is worth noting in the current climate, as it could have an effect on the wheat market going forward. Moving on to barley, the physical ex-farm focus, as I said, is now on June-July rather than April-May, as the spread is definitely widening to more than one pound. Feed barley continues to be heavily discounted, but it is worth noting it's still leaving the country. There are boats of old crop continuing to calculate out of the wash port of Kings Lynn and indeed the deep water port of Portbury, so the downside is clearly limited. Simply put, while there is carry into new crop, which means that effectively we can make money by holding on, the markets are reasonably well protected. There are weather concerns at present everywhere, not just here in the UK. The Ukraine, France, Romania are all very dry. There are concerns everywhere. For example, the Ukraine is the biggest wheat exporter. If this dry period continues, how much will they have to export this year? Oilseed rape, as I talk to farmers around the county, it is amazing how much oilseed rape is still either being ripped up or even whether the farmers are undecided whether to take it to the combine. The oilseed rape price has not risen significantly this week, like the wheat, and there is little fresh news, or at least nothing to get excited about regarding ex-farm values as they remain at a similar level for last week. The feed bean market plods along with lower volumes trading but still achieving reasonable prices for the end of the season. It will be interesting to keep an eye on the bean market when it comes to harvest to see what the quantity and the quality are like. This could affect the price and the world's demand. It could be a sizable crop this year for the UK given the poor wheat drilling area. Moving on to prices this week, feed wheat for April is 149 to 151. For May, 152 to 154. For November, 164 to 166. And for May 21, 170 to 172. Milling wheat premiums are circa £20. Oilseed rate for April is 299 to 301. For May, 301 to 303. And November, 310 to 312. Moving forward to May 21, estimated values of 316 to 318. Feed barley for April is 120 to 122. May, 124 to 126 with a better carry moving forward to November of 129 to 131, and May 21, 135 to 137. Malting premiums are currently unavailable for both old crop and new crop. And feed beans, old crop May through to July, 240 to 245 pounds, 
and there are limited new crop values currently. Kit Dickinson from Openfield back next Sunday on The Farming Programme. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, we've had a glorious couple of weeks for sunbathing, but we could do with a bit of rain now. Well, the good news is that there's some on the way this week. Still quite warm today, but cloudier with some showers possible this afternoon. Winds mainly from the west, but very gentle. Highs of 17, 18 Celsius. On Monday, the wind becomes a little more variable, still mainly from the west and still quite calm. Turning cooler as we start the week with a little rain each day. Highs of 11 Celsius for the first half of the week, a degree or two warmer on Thursday and Friday. Nighttime temperatures mostly around 4 to 6 Celsius. The winds stay light and variable and mostly from the south. Low pressure from Tuesday night picking up a little bit by the end of the week. Well, that's it from us at the Farming Programme for this week. If you'd like to get in touch, I'd love to hear what you're up to at the moment. Click the contact button on the website or the app or tweet at Farming Show. I'm Steve Orchard. Have a good week and stay safe.